Let's pray. Almighty God, our Father in heaven, we pray that we would be enabled by your Spirit uh, to hear the good news uh, for our world as truly uh, good news it is. Help us to conform um, our celebration this Christmas season to that understanding of the news originally announced by the angel at the birth of Christ. We ask for this in the holy name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Um, it is officially <laughs> that time of year again. Uh, Thanksgiving is past, and the holiday season is upon us. Uh, if you turn on the radio, take a trip to most any place of business, uh, or simply stroll down the aisle of a local grocery store, you're likely to hear songs about Jesus' birth playing in the background. We may call them Christmas carols, but many are actually Christian hymns celebrating the incarnation of our Lord and Savior. God taking on flesh and dwelling among us. But Christmas carols, specifically, carry a special kind of weight. The word carol is derived from the Latin corolla, the old French word carole, a circle dance accompanied by singers. Carols were very popular as dance songs uh, from the 1150s to the 1350s, after which their use was expanded as processional songs sung during festivals. These circle or ring dances are highly traditional and very common form of folk dance. So Christmas carols, rightly understood, are a sacred kind of folk music. They are much more traditional than many of our other songs and hymns. Therefore, they are more potent, more powerful, for good and bad. Christmas carols carry a special kind of weight. So, for a few weeks each December, and for some of us, it may begin a little sooner than that. These profound songs of worship become a constant part of the holiday atmosphere. Again, this can be both good and bad. In some respects, these carols can become so common that we sing them on autopilot. Without true consideration for the lyrics, and their deep theology, without worship. Christmas carols are not just songs that are unique to a particular denomination. Also, as these carols are very familiar to many non-Christians, this, this gives them a great deal of force, these Christmas carols. Given our society's widespread interest in these carols and the force accompanying them, a unique opportunity is provided for us to share the gospel during this time, during this season. It's a perfect time to explain the meaning of these songs to those who don't know Christ. Picture this. I'm going to set the scene for you. You're standing in line at Walmart. The line is five carts deep, and they're overflowing. 
So you know you're going to be there for a little while. You're surrounded. And over the store's speakers, Mariah Carey sings. What does she sing? Veiled in flesh the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. Amazing. This godless tramp. (laughs) Sorry, sorry. This really talented godless tramp is singing about our Savior, our King, our God. Now, usually, we just let this pass as background noise, like Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, or maybe you sing along with that one. As Zodi Bakum likes to say, if you can't say amen, say ouch. But we do. Usually, we just let this pass as background noise. But I want to encourage you this morning to perhaps grab the opportunity. When over the store speakers we hear, veiled in flesh the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity, You might repeat the line out loud for your fellow shoppers to hear. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. And say, isn't that amazing? That my creator was willing to take on a human body himself so that he could take the punishment I deserve for my sins against him. Sure, they may ignore you. (laughs) Uh, or think you're crazy. So what? You never know. They may engage you and ask, what do you mean? You're not going to get that opportunity with Frosty the Snowman. (laughs) The content of Christmas carols can be used to reveal the good news of the gospel. Whether like this in a church service with like-minded believers, or in the car as you travel with family, And yes, may we make the most of this Christmas season by taking the opportunity to share the truth of God's grace with strangers and unbelieving friends and family. The carols that we sing each year do an amazing job of pointing out who Jesus is and why he came. Unfortunately, for for many, uh, the words they sing have little to no meaning and take no effect upon their lives. It's sad, really. When you hear these secular musicians singing Christmas carols. The irony is (laughs) simply striking, really, um, how these musicians who make no claim to believe in Christ sing these beautiful songs about his birth. The reality is that they have no idea what they're singing about. Perhaps you're in in a similar place. Familiar with them? Familiar with the tunes of the great Christmas carols because you've heard them every winter season? but you've never stopped to consider their lyrics. Let's consider one of these great songs and, profound, and the profound truths that it proclaims. Today we'll focus on the um, popular Christmas carol, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, and we're going to use it to talk about the Christmas story. In Hark the Herald Angels Sing, we learn that not only through the newborn king, we, I'm sorry, we learned that only through the newborn king can God and sinners be reconciled. 
We are also reminded that Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, being God, took on human flesh. Christ, by highest heaven adored, Christ the everlasting Lord, veiled in flesh the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity. These words echo the words of the Apostle Paul, who wrote in 1 Timothy 2.5, that there is one God and one mediator also between God and men, the Lord Jesus Christ. In 2 Corinthians 5.19, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, providing a way of salvation for those who deserve nothing more than God's condemnation. First, let's take a look at some background to this Christmas carol. Hark the Herald Angels Sing uh, was written by Charles Wesley and was included in his 1739 Methodist hymnal. This Christmas hymn was filled with scriptural allusions and biblical truth. It is a highly theological, rich classic and was later set to music by Felix Mendelssohn. It is of interest to note that the music was written to commemorate the 400th anniversary of the the printing press. It began as, Hark how all the welkin rings. But George Whitfield changed the words to Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Wesley's wording, Hark how all the welkin rings, was changed... um, because it was changed by George Reville to Hark the Herald Angels Sings because the more biblical expression seemed quaint or outdated. Hark how all the welkin rings, glory to the king of kings. That's how it originally uh, was stated. We don't use this much nowadays except in the set phrase, make the welkin ring meaning to make a very loud sound. Dictionaries usually tag it as archaic or strictly literary. Um, It's actually used in Beowulf and some some Shakespeare plays. What supposedly rings in this situation is the vault of heaven, the bowl of the sky, the firmament. In older um, cosmology, this was thought to be one uh, one of a set of real crystal spheres that enclosed the earth to which the planets and stars were attached. So it would have been capable of ringing like a bell if you made enough noise. Included in most hymnals are three verses of Hark the Herald Angels Sing, written by Charles Wesley in 1739, but there are actually two additional verses that we'll talk about that speak not only to our salvation, but also our sanctification. Before we get into the actual lyrics, um, open to Luke's Gospel, where we'll read uh, of the event, the carol references. So Luke 2, we'll begin at verse 8, and we'll read through verse 14. Luke 2, 8 through 14. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day 
in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. In the text, we almost get the impression that the angel of the Lord saw the birth of the second person of the Trinity, God incarnate, God in human flesh. And as he was leaving the dirty stable, perhaps going back to heaven, returning to his normal angelic duties, saw the shepherds out in the field nearby and just had to tell somebody, anybody, what just happened. So he tells the shepherds, right? The town is dark. Uh, They're probably the only people awake at this hour. The angel of the Lord gives this message to the shepherds. And then suddenly, the sky is full of angels singing. And just so we're clear, the text doesn't say that they were singing. But when you look at the context, the situation, the words used, they had to be. They had to be singing. The title. We already addressed the the title, that the title line was changed. But in the Whitfield rendering... Uh, which we are most familiar with. What are we to make about these singing angels? First, they declared the news of the Christ child. The word herald uh, can mean a few similar things, but in the case of angels, they were announcing an event and speaking out or saying, uttering praises to the glory of God. Can angels sing? Or do they sing? First, the herald angels referenced in Luke's Christmas narrative did not sing or say, glory to the newborn king. What we see, um, we see that they actually declared something. Uh, Look at Luke 2, and specifically 13 and 14. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among, them, among, uh, among those with whom he is pleased. Or um, another rendering of that is, On whom his favor rests. Uh, John Gill, uh, in his exposition of the entire Bible, Uh, says this, and suddenly there was with the angel that brought the tidings, sorry, this angel that brought the tidings of Christ's birth to the shepherds, a multitude of the heavenly host who being caused to fly swiftly were at once with him by his side and about him and which was a further confirmation of the truth of his message to them. These were angels who were called a host or army, a militia of heaven, the ministers of God that wait upon him and do his pleasure and are sent forth to minister to his people and encamp about them, preserve and defend them. When Jacob was fleeing uh, Laban, uh, Genesis 32, 1 through 2, 
Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, this is, the God, this is God's camp. So we call the name of that place Mahanam. So we have this um, host of angels. These are styled as heavenly host because they dwell in heaven, and to distinguish them from hosts and armies on earth, these are the heavenly host, and said to be multitude, for the angels are innumerable. innumerable. There are thousands, ten thousands, and ten thousand times ten thousand of them. It may be rendered the multitude, and may intend the whole company of angels, who were all of them together, to sing the praises of God and glorify him at the birth of the incarnate Savior as well as to adore him. Imagine that. Every single angel. Innumerable. Singing the praises of God. Since it is said, when he bringeth in the first begotten into the world, he saith, and let all the angels of God worship him. Hebrews 1.6. And these were praising God, these angels, on account of the birth of Christ, with the redemption that was to be obtained by him for elect men, which shows their friendly disposition to them and how much they rejoice at their spiritual and eternal welfare. Luke 15.10 says, Just so, I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Job 38, 7. And just as at the laying of the foundation of the earth, this is Job, right? So remember, uh, God is talking to him, questioning him. Just as the laying of the foundation of earth, these morning stars sang together, and all the sons of earth Oh, I'm sorry, and all the sons of God shouted for joy. So the morning stars sang together, and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Job 38, 7. They did the same when the foundation of man's salvation was laid. Laying of the foundation of earth versus the laying of the foundation of man's salvation in the, incarnate, in the incarnation of the Son of God. These uh, sons of God. All the sons of God is the same term used when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord in Job 1.6. Right? Satan comes along also, and we know him to be an angel. All the sons of God. Uh, turn to 2 Chronicles 5.13. 2 Chronicles, I'm, I'm kind of building a case here a little bit. So 2 Chronicles 5.13 Second Chronicles five thirteen. It came to pass. It, it it came even to pass as the trumpeters and singers were as one to make one sound to be heard in praising and thanking the Lord. And when they lifted up their voice with the trumpets and cymbals and instruments of music and praised the Lord, saying, for he is good, 
for, the, for his mercy endureth forever. That then the house was filled with a cloud, even the house of the Lord. As the trumpeters and singers were as one to make the sound to be heard in praising, lifting up their voices. So are, these, are these voices singing? Lifting up their voice with trumpets and cymbals and instruments of music and praise the Lord saying. So the saying coincides with the singing. So yes, angels sing and on that night a multitude of angels were singing glory to the God in the highest and on earth peace among those whom he is, with whom he is pleased. Uh, this is, I would say, the most glorious thing that God has ever done for our sorry world. Um, you've heard people say, Jesus is the reason for the season. Yes, that's true. Uh, but first we have to understand that sin is the reason for the season. Um, why is his name Jesus? Right? Because he will save his people from their sins. Christ came to deal with the problem of sin in the world. The world was dark. The world was in rebellion. The world was corrupt. The world was full of wicked men. And that is why Jesus was born into this world. Jesus came in order to take on a human body. He took on human flesh in order to be able to die. He needed to die if he was to save anyone. Without the shedding of blood, the Bible teaches, there's no remission of sin. Sentimental Christmas traditions don't deal with sin. You can have gentle snowfall, doesn't deal with sin. If a little snow falls, it can cover a manure pit, right? As nicely as it covers a meadow. Pure, clean, so nice to look at. The only thing that can deal with our sin is the blood of Jesus Christ. And Jesus took on a human body at Bethlehem in order to have a body that, would, that could grow up in order to have a body that could live a complete, full human life, a perfect human life, and then die on a rugged cross. Jesus died on that cross to deal with our sins. You will call his name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins, from all the things that have, have us shackled, have us enslaved, so yes, this is good news, and the angel had to tell somebody. And yes, the multitude were most definitely singing. Again, this is the most glorious thing that God has ever done for this world. And the heavenly host were praising him. It has been said that good theology leads to good doxology. Good doctrine, and this is about as good as it gets, leads to praise and worship. If the announcement of Jesus' birth does not lead you to worship and praise, there's something terribly wrong. Uh, in this Christmas carol, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, the lyrics don't just focus on the birth of Jesus, but it weaves in the foundational purpose behind the incarnation. To reconcile people to God and bring them back 
into relationship with him. George Whitfield may have edited the carol, but it's Wesley's lyrics that powerfully impart these timeless truths. Wesley displays great skill in his lyric writing and achieves something that most modern worship songs simply do not. Born that man no more may die, born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. It's amazing to think that uh, many millions of people over the last 281 years since this song was first penned have basically sung the gospel and may have understood it on some level thanks to this song. It's a hymn that in just a few verses presents the gospel succinctly, yet effectively. First, we rejoice at Christ's birth and join with the angels as they worship the Christ child, the one who, the one through whom God is reconciling all people to himself. Then we're reminded of Jesus' heavenly glory and his divinity. The precious incarnation, the one who laid his glory by in order to rescue the lost and, re- and rescue the lost and redeem the rebel sinner. Christ by highest heaven adored, Christ the everlasting Lord. Then finally to his resurrection, light and life to all he brings, risen with healing in his wings. And we're drawn to focusing our minds on what his birth, death, and resurrection have achieved. New birth, new life, and an eternal destination that is available to all. The carol really does make up a simple and engaging presentation of the gospel. That makes it such a crucial part of our witness and declaration of God's plan of salvation at Christmas time. It's an invitation to anyone to see beyond the baby in a manger and see the new life and hope that through Jesus we can experience. With high theology, this hymn actually is a short course in systematic theology. And that's how, that's what I want to do. Um, that's how I want to treat it now. I want to, I want to just work through the hymn and point out where um, Wesley got some of these things and uh, this is by no means complete. So let's take a look at it verse by verse. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. Peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. Joyful all ye nations rise, join the triumph of the skies. With the angelic host proclaim, Christ is born in Bethlehem. Hark. Give heed, listen. The messenger announcing, declaring angels, right? the messenger angels, the de- announcing angels, the declaring angels, sing. The open, opening lines of this Christmas hymn echo Luke 2.14. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace. Immediately a connection is established between the heavenly chorus of angels and our hope for peace on earth. While other Christmas carols may recount the Christmas story as a narrative, this 
um, is a dense theology of the incarnation. The carol does not begin with the prophets, the annunciation to Mary, the journey to Bethlehem, or the search for a room. Instead, we jump right into the middle of the action. Rather than citing the final phrase of Luke 2.14, goodwill toward men, Wesley gives the theological ramifications. God and sinners reconciled. This is indeed a stronger theological statement. Um, Notice that lines 2, 3, and 4, the opening stanza, are placed in quotation marks. Glory to the newborn king, peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. It's an indication that uh, they're virtually citations of Scripture. We're going to cite quite a bit of scripture here. (laughs) Um, We'll move fast, so feel free to jot down references, but um, you don't have to turn to each and every one. It's going to move quick, and it's going to be quite a bit. Glory to the newborn king. Matthew 2, 1 through 2. Wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Peace on earth and mercy mild. Back to our text in Luke 2.14. Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace among those with whom he's well pleased. God and sinners reconciled. 2 Corinthians 5.19 says, in Christ God was reconciling the, word, the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. The Apostle Paul is talking about the ministry of reconciliation. God in Christ was reconciling the world to himself. Reconciliation means the restoration of peace, where previously there was hostility between God and man. God intervenes in order to deal with this state of enmity, and he reconciles the world to himself. And we, we've been made ministers of this reconciliation. God did reconcile the world to himself in the death of Christ, and on the basis, on that basis, we make an appeal. Please, come. We plead with you to be reconciled to God. That's the message. God and sinners Reconciled. Joyful all ye nations rise. Psalm 117.1 Praise the Lord all nations. Extol him all peoples. There are so many places in the Bible, um, mainly in the Old Testament, where the nations are invited. All tribes, all peoples, everybody, everyone is invited to come and serve God, to worship God. Joyful all, ye nations rise. This is a very Davidic-like invitation. All ye nations, come rise up, praise the Lord. Join the triumph of the skies. Heaven has come down and is singing the praises of God. This multitude of angels And we need to invite earth to do the same thing. All you nations, come, join the angels, sing with the angels, 
where the angelic host proclaim Christ is born in Bethlehem. That's the prophecy in Micah 5.2. The prophecy in Micah 5.2 um, is, but you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, you, I'm sorry, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. As a side note, this is the prophecy the wise men from the east were aware of, causing them to seek Jesus out to worship him. The second stanza. Christ by highest heaven adored, Christ the everlasting Lord. Late in time, behold him come, offspring of a virgin's womb. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity. Pleased with flesh, pleased with us in flesh to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. Christ by highest heaven adored. In the triumphal entry in Luke 19, 38, all the people were saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. The triumphal entry of Christ into Jerusalem. Christ by highest heaven adored. Christ the everlasting Lord. Christ is the Lord of an everlasting kingdom. Late in time, behold him come. Galatians 4.4 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. In Galatians 4.4, 4, we're told that when the time was fulfilled, when the time was right, Christ was born. Think of how many centuries of darkness unfolded before the time was just right for the Messiah to come late in time. Behold him come, offspring of a virgin's womb. In the Old Testament, it was prophesied that a virgin would conceive. Isaiah, uh, Isaiah 7, 14, Isaiah says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. <laughs> Modern versions uh, sung by celebrities, especially female celebrities, have changed the words here. They've changed the words offspring of a virgin's womb to offspring of the favored one. Although Mary is referred to as the favored one, uh, the obvious implication is here. Favored one is less doctrinally rich than is the virgin womb. Veiled in flesh the Godhead see. In Hebrews 13, it says that Jesus Christ is the exact representation of God's nature. He's the exact image. He's the exact representation. If you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. Isn't that what Jesus says to Philip in John 14? John 14, 9. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. In Hebrews, uh, Hebrews 1, 3, he, Jesus, is 
the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. Veiled in flesh the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. In Philippians 2, 6 through 8. Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He is the incarnate deity. He didn't grab at this uh, equality with God, but he took the form of a servant. He became incarnate. He took on flesh. Hail him. Cheer, salute, greet, welcome him, approve of him enthusiastically. Offer honor and respect to him. Worship him. He is God, deity. Deity now in flesh appearing. Oh, come, let us adore him, to quote another Christmas carol. Pleased as man with men to dwell, in John 1.14, it says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Literally, he tabernacled among us, or he pitched his tent among us. Pleased as man with men to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. That goes back to Isaiah 7.14 again. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel, which of course, I believe many of you know, means God with us. Come, desire of nations, come. Fix in us thy humble home. Rise the, women, the woman's conquering seed. Bruise in us the serpent's head. Now display thy saving power. Ruin nature, now restore. Now in mystic union join thine to ours and ours to thine. First, come desire of nations, come. Haggai 2.7 reads, And I will shake all nations, so that the treasures of all nations shall come in. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. Oh, how is he going to fill the house with treasures from the nations? I will shake all nations, so that the treasures shall come in and fill the house with glory. It's a messianic prophecy where um, it predicts the Messiah is going to come and he's going to be desired by all the nations. Remember um, what we said about Psalm 117.1, praise the Lord all nations, extol him all peoples, all the nations. Not only are the nations invited to rise up and praise him, to praise God, but Haggai says that they will do so. Jesus, when he comes, is going to come as the desire of nations. Men in their own sinful nature, without God's gracious intervention, are running from God. But God has done something so amazing that the nations will turn and come to him. They will want to be with him. Don't believe that? 
as a Gentile nation, we're included in this. This is us. You're not Jerusalem. You're not Israel, ethnically. You're not from there. Desire, come desire of nations, come. Come desire of nations, come fix in us thy humble home. 2 Corinthians 13, 5 reads, Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves? That Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test? Christ dwells in the believer. Christ dwells in us. God takes up residence in when... um, And when he takes up residence in us, over time, throughout history, God is assembling a glorious tabernacle made out of living stones. And the glory of that temple, his people, is going to far surpass the glory of all the types and shadows. Think of that. Christ dwells in us. We are a temple. Those temples of the Old Testament, beautiful types and shadows of what God is making out of living stones. And that, the glory of that temple is going to surpass everything that came before. Rise the woman's conquering seed. Genesis 3.15 reads, I will put enmity between you and the woman, Remember this from our Old Testament scripture reading. And between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. This is the first promise of the gospel. Right after the fall, you have this promise given. Right after our race plunged itself into sin and misery, God promised the Messiah. And he said that the woman is going to be avenged on the serpent. The serpent is going to bruise the Messiah's heel, but the seed of the woman is going to crush the serpent's head. But notice what the carol says. I love this. I, I, I absolutely love this. Bruise in us the serpent's head. We're not innocent bystanders. The dragon, this serpent of old, we helped him commit his crime. We were his accomplices. We were misled so that we became a brood of vipers. We became one of his, children of the devil. We became dragon babies. Each one of us has a deadly, venomous snake in our own heart. And in the Christmas carol, we are saying, we are singing, that not Only do I want the seed of the woman to come into the world and crush the objective power of the devil. I want him to come into every human heart and crush the serpent's head in their souls. Bruise in us the serpent's head. Now display thy saving power. Romans 8, verse 11. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. 
Display thy saving power. Ruined nature, now restore. Hebrews 2, 8 through 9. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, but we see him for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Ruin nature now restore. God's project is to remake the world. God's project is to redo humanity. The church is actually humanity, um, the human race, done over again. God gave us a new Adam. God gave us a new Eve. The new Eve is the Christian church. The new Adam is, of course, the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Lord Jesus Christ is remaking all of humanity. It's amazing, actually. Now in mystic union join thine to ours and ours to thine. John 17, 21 reads, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. God enables us to be joined together with him if you're in Christ. To be partakers of his nature. Just as Jesus took on our human nature, he enables us to be joined to him. Jesus prays in John 17, he prays that Christians would be one, even as the Father and the Son are one. God wants us to partake in this unity to participate in this unity. If there is not unity in the body of Christ, it's rebellion, it's sin. Now in mystic union join, thine to ours and ours to thine. Adam's likeness, Lord, efface. Stamp thine image in its place. Second Adam from above, reinstate us in thy love. Let us thee Though lost, regain thee, the life, the inner man. O to all thyself impart, form in each believing heart. Adam's likeness, Lord of face, stamp thine image in its place. We were created in the image of God. In the Garden of Eden, we were made and fashioned in the image of God, and when we fell into sin, that image was not eradicated or destroyed. That sin did not annihilate the image of God in us. That image of God was violated. That image of God was vandalized. Think about it. It's like a damaged painting. You can see the smears, the scratches, the rips, the tears. But you can also see the original. You can see what was underneath that was damaged. Christ came in order to restore the image of God in man. So, we were created in God's image. We fell into sin, corrupting the image of God in us. So later on, in Genesis 9, uh, 5 through 6, we read, And for your lifeblood, 
I will require a reckoning. From every beast, this is with Noah, from every beast I will require it from and from man. From his fellow man I will require a reckoning for the life of a man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made him, I'm sorry, for God made man in his own image. After the fall, God required the punishment of death because the victim was created in the image of God. Man still bears God's image. Non-believers still bear God's image, but it's defaced, it's violated. There's something wrong with it. The true image, so I hope you get that, right? There is the death penalty because the image of God we, we hold. Humans are made in the image of God. That's why abortion is such a horrible thing. We're, we're, we're killing innocent people made in the image of God. And God institutes the death penalty for that. So after the fall, God requires the death penalty. Um, the, the true image, right, Jesus Christ, the true man and the true God, he's the template, he's the exemplar. Uh, he's the one we're all going to resemble one day. We're reminded of the imago dei, in the phrase, stamp thine image in its place, the image of God, taking on the image of God in place of that of sinful Adam. Our father, our representative in the garden, Adam, stamp thine image in its place. So Adam's likeness, Lord, efface. The old man is to be removed and stamp thine image there. Second Adam from above, the word or the name Adam um, is the Hebrew word meaning mankind. Mankind, the corrupted image of God. Jesus comes to do it over again. Second Adam from above. 1 Corinthians 15 uh, verse 45 says, Thus it is written, the first man Adam became a living being. The last or second Adam became a life-giving spirit. Second Adam from above reinstate us in thy love. We've been exiled from fellowship with God. And he wants us to be reinstated. Let us thee, thou lost, regain. I'm sorry. Let us thee, though lost, regain. When we're saved, God does not give us trinkets. He does not give us external things. In Scripture, God saves us by giving us himself. Notice this in the line, let us thee, though lost, regain. Regain what? God himself. We regain our relationship with him. Not the externals that have to do with it. Not things like church membership, things like Bible reading. What we're regaining is him, God himself. Let us thee, though lost, regain. Thee, the life, the inner man. So we are being renewed. We're being quickened in the inner man. 
Ephesians 3.16 says that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit. Where? In your inner being. Oh, to all thyself impart. Again, God gives us himself. And when he gives us things, he gives us things as tokens of himself. There is a good way and a bad way to give a Christmas gift. Um, when a parent or a husband or a wife gives a Christmas gift, um, the good way is you give the gift as a token or representation of yourself. All the things God gives us, life, breath, the sunshine, the weather, all the wonderful things that God gives us, these are tokens of the central gift that he gives, which is himself. Owe to all thyself in part, formed in each believing heart. Christ is being formed in us when God has given himself to us. God is being formed in us in us as Christ is being formed in us. Christ is being formed in us when God has given himself to us. God is being formed in us as Christ is being formed in us. We're becoming more Christ-like. Hail the heavenly born, I'm sorry, hail the heavenly prince of peace. Hail the son of righteousness. Light and life to all he brings, risen with healing in his wings. Mild he lays his glory by, born that man no more may die. Born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. Hail the heavenly, born, heavenly prince of peace. Isaiah calls Christ the prince of peace in Isaiah 9.6. It reads, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Hail the Son of Righteousness. The Messiah is called the Son, not S-O-N. It wasn't a typo that Logan did. <laughs> uh, it's S-U-N. Christ is called the Son, S-U-N, of Righteousness. In Malachi 4.2, it reads, But for you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. The word son is meant to convey the healing power of Christ here, right? risen with healing in his wings. Um, it's in his shining as the light of life that healing comes. Light and life to all he brings. John 8, 12, again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. John 1, 4 reads, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus is life for the world. Risen with healing in his wings. That returns again to Malachi 4, 2. Right, the Son of Righteousness shall rise with healing in his wings. Mild he lays his glory by. Philippians 2.7 reads, But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, 
So he empties himself, takes, uh, taking the form of a servant. He emptied himself. Mild, he lays his glory by. That does not mean he gave up deity by any means. Um, picture the most beautiful sports car you can imagine, um, whatever it might be, right off the showroom floor. Um, and it's glory of sorts, right? Beautiful, shining, um, and you take it mudding. <laughs> if you don't know what mudding is, you're, you're, you're basically going through the, the muddy fields and it gets covered, covered in mud completely. You can't see what color it was. You don't even know what type of car it was. Christ took on flesh. He, he covered his glory with human flesh. What happens at the transfiguration? Right? He, they see him for who he is. Um, glorified, if you will. Um, mild he lays his glory by born in a dirty stable a baby messing his diapers born that man no more may die romans 6 6 we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Christ did not die so that we might live. What? (laughs) Christ died so that we might die. He lives so that we might live. Christ died so that we might die in him. And he died in that way so that we could join him in his death, so that we might join him in his resurrection. Born to raise the sons of earth. Born to give them second birth. John 3.3 reads, Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You must be born again. So, what will you do with Jesus Christ? This Christmas season. You've been asked that over and over again, I'm sure. Will you ignore him? Will you dismiss him? Will you sing the songs of Christmas without thinking about the very words you're singing? Or will you submit to him for who he truly is? He's no longer a little baby born in a Bethlehem stable. He is the risen and exalted Son of God. He died for sin, he rose again, and now sits at the right hand of the Father in heaven, waiting to judge the nations. Hark the herald angels sing. Let's join them and make the welkin ring once again this Christmas season. Let's pray. Almighty God, what good news. 
good news first announced by the angel at the birth of your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, conform our celebration of Christmas to that joyous praise causing us, your church, to worship you. We glory in your reconciling sinners to yourself. May the serpent's head be bruised in us. May the nations rise and hail you as king. Cause the nations to desire you. Make your home with us now and restore what we have corrupted. As you join yourself to us, let us give you the glory you rightly deserve. We thank you, Lord, um, for gifting talented men with the desire to write so clearly and beautifully uh, in poetry as well as song and music the profound truths found in your word. May we not only learn the theology present in them, but we pray that songs like these would stir us up to, to, to magnified worship and renewed obedience to your gospel. We ask these things, Lord, in Christ's precious name. Amen. Uh, please stand, and we will sing the doxology. <laughs>